1: Just what happened behind the scenes which saw Russell Howcroft leave the Lofty Heights as Chief Creative Officer at PwC to get down with the people on Talkback Radio in Melbourne? And what was Tom Malone thinking, the new boss of Nine's radio division, when Howcroft was shot over his bow to co-lead and continue the 20-year grip that 3AW's breakfast slot has held on Radio Ratings? Malone was Nine's director of sport before taking on the radio gig and was a central figure in the big switch from cricket to tennis at Nine. He's already put the broom through his radio unit, including Ellen Jones, and Tom has some more to come, including some changes for the advertising market. So we're going to talk to these two gents today, and guess what? They are not short of a view. Welcome to you both. To Tom first, how did Russell Howcroft get on your radar?
2: Well, listen, Paul, success has many fathers, but I really I have to give this one to Mark Clemens, a well-known uh, manager in Melbourne and Russell's manager. And I sat down for a coffee with Mark in February and we were just having a general catch-up, and he said, what are you thinking for the succession plans for 3W Breakfast? Because it had been well known that John Burns was finishing up at the end of July on his 75th birthday, and I said, oh, I've got a few few people in mind. What What are you thinking? And he said, I think Russell Howcroft would be perfect. And I said, Wow, that's a great idea. Never met him. Knew him from the Gruen transfer. Knew him from working at Channel 10. Obviously, know his experience both in media and marketing. And thought, what a what a great idea. So it it went pretty quickly from there. We had a, I think we caught up uh, for a chat face to face about a few weeks later and. Immediately felt a a connection with Russell and thought, I just think he'll be perfect to partner with Ross. Uh, He's 10 years younger than Ross, 20 years younger than John Burns, uh, and his his experience in both Melbourne, obviously he knows Melbourne inside out, and 3AW is unashamedly so parochial, and so you have to be all in on Melbourne, and Russell is all in on Melbourne. And then, of course, his, his incredible background in both media and marketing makes him the the, uh, perfect fit. It just went pretty quickly from there. Had a chat with Russell and then, I mean, I can let Russell tell this other part of the story because we then worked out this had actually been a a long-held ambition of Russell's as
1: well. Well, that's right, Tom. Um, Rumour has it he wanted this gig 20 years ago but wasn't good enough. Look, he probably talks more now than he ever has. Russell, is
0: the rumour right? Did you want this gig two decades ago? Well, what is right is that 20 years ago I fantasised about the gig, for sure. So um, when, um, when Dean Banks left the partnership that he had with Ross, um, that was you know something that I would lie back in bed and think about. Um, I, I, I would have spoken to Kate, Kate about it as well, but not, not a lot beyond that. And the truth is there was no credentials whatsoever to even begin to think that I could do it. Um, you know, that, that sort of grew in media part of my life had barely started. Though, though I, I was on Virginia Trioli on 774 every second Monday talking about the ad world. Um, so I had a little bit of experience in the world of radio, but very, very small. Um, so it is absolutely true that 20 years ago, I thought, oh, geez, I'd love to do that.
1: Let's just ask though, Russell, when when you got word it was on, you were chief creative officer at PwC. It's a big gig, but did you get creative at PwC, or were you just sort of colouring in
0: those audit reports? Well, there's obviously no colouring in that goes on at PwC, Ross. So, you know, when I first joined PwC, I said, you know, the only problem here is that you might get a headline. You know, PwC gets creative with its accounting, but that that's certainly not what that joint does. No, I I, I was very attracted to attracted to being a partner at PwC, and uh, being part of the CMO advisory group, having that that job, chief creative officer. What that meant was, I was readily in boardrooms in c suites, speaking to CEOs about the importance of creativity and, and the importance of creativity to drive their success, drive the economy, drive the country. So it gave me a really big platform in order to drive something which, as you know, has been a big part of my, my whole working life and really proud of my working life, just how important I think creativity is and um they gave me an amazing platform
1: did it work out like you thought russell with the cmo advisory unit at pwc and all the rest did it work
0: yes absolutely and the the opportunity that pwc gives you is to pretty um, there's not very many doors you can't walk through so the opportunity to walk through that door as the chief creative officer of pwc it just enables you to have conversations which i have always wanted to have Um, but you don't necessarily get to have them when you're in the ad world or indeed in the media world, but you do get to have them when you're in that world.
1: Well, just a couple of more questions around that Mm -hmm. because I do want to get back to Tom and what he plans for, for Nine Radio. But, Russell, you've done ad agencies, global ad networks, you've done media, you've done consulting giants. I've got a bunch of fast questions for you, so get ready. I'm going to ask, which was the hardest, which was the smartest, the most ruthless, which was the most influential, what was the most enjoyable and what was the best. So are you ready? Which sector was the hardest? Advertising. Which was the smartest? Advertising. Which was the most ruthless? Uh, media. Ooh, most influential? Consulting. Most enjoyable? All of them. The best?
0: At uh, Different stages of life, Paul. They were, they were fantastic for different stages in career and life. Um, absolutely ads in my thirties, no question of that loved the media world in my in the 40s and being a consultant in the 50s has been brilliant
1: well tom malone russell halcroft uh says media was the most ruthless uh, <laughs> what do you make of that one
2: I'm just just wondering there about Russell's sequencing. Is that are you suggesting Russell you've slowed down through your 30s, 40s, and 50s from advertising to media to consulting?
0: No, not at all. But may, maybe knowing <laughs> maybe knowing one's place.
1: Tom. <laughs> well, let's get to media. Tom Malone. Russell did signal it was the most ruthless sector he'd worked in. You've done a bit of that in the last eight months. Uh, you've been pretty ruthless too.
2: Well, I think I think what we've done is we've made decisions through the prism of what's best for the business, and we have to take a five-year view of the business. And then we have to make sure that at the end of that five years that uh, that Nine Radio, which is predominantly a talk radio network, is, uh, is well-placed at the end of that five years. And so I, I look at talk radio. My background before television was radio. I started off in radio. I've been a talk-back radio junkie since I was about seven or eight years of age. So when we came in, I had a pretty clear idea of what we needed to do, which was we needed to um, retain our existing audience And at the same time, open ourselves up to a younger audience. So we need, and and by doing that, also improve our trade marketing position, which was really important. Because I think over time, uh, one of the one of the key things about talk radio is uh, the broadcasters become part of people's lives um, because they're in their kitchens, their bathrooms, their cars, their bedrooms. They're you know they're everywhere with them, and so that companionship is a huge part of what we do. And therefore, it goes to um, significant tenures on air, uh, and what we're probably seeing at the moment is we're seeing really the um, the end of a long generation of very successful broadcasters, but what that means is the audience has grown older with them as well, and we've ceded ground to a lot of the music stations who are really doing talk shows in breakfast. So we needed to re-establish ourselves, because what we do better than anyone is local, relevant, uh, contextual... Um, content. So we set about through that prism making some of those decisions. So, and you can see, a um, Russell is one piece of uh, of that. Um, Puzzle, and obviously we've made significant changes right across the network. Didi Dunleavy into Afternoons in Melbourne. Uh, We got Local Nights back with Dennis Walter in Melbourne, in Sydney. The only show that the same is Sydney is Ray Hadley Mornings. We've got New Breakfast, Afternoon Drive, Sport, Money, Nights. Launched a new breakfast show and a new drive show in Brisbane. So for an industry um, that doesn't like change, it's been significant. Uh, But we think we've got the balance right between retaining the existing audience um, and taking them on the journey with us and also opening ourselves up to new audiences that will be more appealing to the advertisers as well.
1: Well, I I got I got to ask because obviously Alan Jones was the big fish in that one. Was it a hard one? How hard was that for you to, to, to make a call and move on it?
2: Well, no, well, it's it's probably not the you know it's probably not the correct way to to, um, to frame what happened there. You know, I think when I took over, the first person I went and saw was Alan Jones. He was actually in Melbourne at the time uh, for the Spring Racing Carnival, and you know, for 30 years he's been the most important person on this station in terms of his ability um, to to bring in audiences and advertising. Um, and there'd obviously been some pretty um, heavily publicised. Um, Uh, uh, quarrelling with the the former management. So I wanted to make sure he knew we supported him, but he was pretty honest. He said, listen, Tom, I'm 78. I don't know how long I can keep doing it. I've got two years to run. Let's see what happens. Uh, He didn't get a holiday at Christmas because of bushfires. He didn't get a holiday at Easter because of COVID. He turned 79. I think it gave him pause to reflect. Uh, He was isolated at at his farm for, I think, 10 weeks. Uh, he had some. He had a week off for some health concerns, and the doctors said pretty clearly to him, "Listen, it's silly that you keep doing this. It's going to be detrimental to your health." So, we were able to. He, he sort of requ- he requested that we have a chat. We had a chat. He said, "I think I should finish up sooner rather than later," and we were able to make that happen. So. Um, you know I think it was I think we were able to um, send Alan off really well and we're really proud of that and he's done a lot for this business over a long period of time so a huge amount of respect for Alan uh, and what he's done for our business
1: So what happens with Fordham and what happens with the change in tone what do you suspect and expect to happen there both in terms of audience numbers and where it heads next or now
2: Paul, only a mug would give you a prediction on numbers uh, for the next ratings. Uh, but, listen, I think, you know, it's not about Survey 6 on September 29. This is a this is a 10-year plan. As I just said, we, we put people in place on radio to be there for 10 years, and that was part of the sell to Russell.
1: Well, I was going to say, so Russell's got 10 years to get his shit together. Is that right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, not to get his shit together, but... Um, but this is about you know where this is about building a plan for the future. So I think you know I'm I'm listening a lot to Ross and Russ in Melbourne. I think they sound terrific. I'm listening a lot to Ben in Sydney and a lot to Neil in Brisbane. They're both doing great jobs as well. So I think there's going to be some. Um, it, there'll be a period of unsettlement, no doubt, as people adjust. Hopefully, as I said, the aim is to retain most of the existing audience, but also grow the audience. What that might mean is, and you would be aware, Paul, the way radio ratings work, it's a combination of cumulative audience and time spent listening. Um, I expect, hopefully, we'll pick up a little bit of cum. We might drop a bit of TSL, share. We'll bounce around a little bit, but that's what happens with share. So I, I, I'm... Hopeful that we remain the number one stations in Sydney and Melbourne, and then we can imp- we continue
1: to improve in Perth and um, in Br- and Brisbane. You touched Tom on a little bit of a, a demo rejig and a askew maybe slightly younger. What's that about, and what's the intent plan there?
2: Well, I think there's I think there's um, two things going on. I think um, one is we need to better position Talk Radio. You know, I don't, people talk about AM and FM and DAB, that, that's irrelevant. You shouldn't be defined by the distribution method of your content. You should be defined by your content. And we are Talk Radio. We're the only commercial talk radio in Australia. We're very successful because we know our audience, we respect our audience, we listen to our audience, and that's going to be a big part of how we go forward in terms of our trade marketing. Um I think the second part of that is, Paul, and this has been an issue now, and Russell knows this better than I, but the twenty five fifty four demo was set up 40 years ago when people were having kids, getting married, getting a mortgage at 25, and at 54, apparently they stopped spending because they retired. Or they get on radio as a, as a morning show host. <laughs> no one can afford to get married or buy a house until they're 35. And what we found is, I mean, the um, the discretionary spend of our listeners especially uh, between the age of 55 and 65 is huge and it's a and we've already proved some success in that with clients like APR, the 50 up club and some of those other advertisers so there's probably as part of what we're doing there's also an education piece that in fact the demo really needs to be 35 to 65 is what advertisers really need to start looking at because people are still making significant purchases both on a uh, on a life scale,
1: but also a consumer scale, uh, right through that period of their lives. And so, you know, you're also uh, lament a little bit about the bias that sits within at least the buy side with agencies towards uh, talk or AM versus FM. And you do think something's there, right? Now, let me just say that I think you know I've heard this from Singo when he had Macquarie and Russell Tate and the rest have lamented the same thing that that music gets gets the uh, gets the attention of the of the buyers and and not talk. You do think there's bias there. Can you really make an impact? Can you change this up? I think we can. I think – so I would say a couple of things on that.
2: If you look, there's there's the agency groups and there's direct. In the agency groups, yes, there's a significant bias against talk radio. We probably only get 5 or 6% sh- of share of the agency money up until nine took over. Whereas in direct, we're getting 25% share of the market. So – and what does that tell you? Well, the people that are spending someone else's money uh, are going with the demos and going with the QM – and going with the traditional um, formulas, the people who directly control their own purse strings, so the the small to medium enterprises who are the CEOs, they know the power of talk radio. That's why they've been with us, a lot of those people, for 20, 30 years, and they only spend on talk radio. Over and above that, probably one of the best marketers in the country, if not the best, is Katie Page from Harvey Norman and they spend a fortune, not just with talk radio, but with all the radio stations. So, but she knows the power of talk radio as well. So I think it's really interesting when you look at the people that are really controlling and watching every dollar, they are with talk radio because they know that we have got broadcasters who are very influential. uh, And therefore when they're doing live reads and they're doing endorsements, it really sits with the listeners because of the the power of the broadcasters. That's what's been going on. Can we address it? Is it realistic? Yes, I think so. I think now the whole strategy of where Nine's been going is to move away from being a TV business to being a content business. So we can now go to an advertiser and have a a chat about offering a whole of marketing solution across TV, radio, digital, publishing, print. So we can provide that whole of experience for the advertiser and make their dollar go harder and faster for them. So I think by leveraging Nine's other assets and putting making radio
1: part of that consideration, I think we will have an impact on that bias that has been there we might come back to the bundled offer in a minute if we get some time but russell you, you know this bias and and the money that goes with it with the older demographics that so often is talked about in the industry but not much changes i've talked to you and everyone else for 15 20 years on the on the move away or the, the lack of interest in the older demographics that have the money and then we have the same conversation going on at am talk versus fm and music um so first you've been in the advertising game so what's going on them? what happens in the mindset from an advertising agency stroke media agency that says, even though it makes sense, it's common sense, nothing changes. What's going on, Mr. Mr. Radio Talk Show, former ad man?
0: <laughs> well, what, what we know, um, we did this when um, I was the chair of Think TV, Paul, when we did the research around the, the buyers of media and how they behave versus actually how the audience behaves. And um, there is absolutely just a really practical bias that occurs where – you know, in the main, a lot of media planning it's done by people that are younger than the broadly speaking the, for example, AW audience, and they do attach some personal bias, and that personal bias does um, override the numbers. I think what's really critical though is what Tom was talking about with regard to Nine. So Nine, Nine is a sophisticated sales engine. Yeah? So it, it's got it's got the relationships with the big media agencies, the big media buyers and planners, and they are therefore able to. Use that sophistication, those relationships, to get them to rethink. Um, in this instance, talk. So I, I, I believe that Tom and his um, executive um, peers are really onto a, a really smart thing, in that they can roll in talk radio numbers into the bigger nine picture and give advertisers a you know a fantastic platform. I just want to come back to you very quickly on the
1: bias thing, though, Russell, because not only is it the buy side, the brands allow it to happen. The brands aren't getting it. Marketers aren't getting it, at least at the, at the top end. Um, what? Ha- so you've had those conversations, I'm sure, and possibly will, uh, Tom will give you a new gig as sort of nearly chief sales officer or something like that to, to do not just the, the, the on-mic on, on stuff. But brands, why don't they get it? Even, like, you'd think they'd be a bit
0: smarter than that. You no, know, no, they do. They do. It's not that it's not everyone doesn't and... So it's not like that. Macca's is part of AW. Telstra is part of AW. Um, you know, big, big advertisers still getting goals. It, it, so the issue is um, it's all about fair share. Okay. You know, it does talk radio get its fair share of advertiser dollars, and does the advertising community broadly understand the power of it? Now, if you have a look at AW's numbers, um, what is it, Tom? Like mid, rates mid-20s, the next best is in the, te- in the mid-teens, um, it's QM is, called it 500,000 people, right? It's, it's time spent, 4.4 4 or something, right? There's just really, really significant numbers that just need to be, I'll say it, sold better. Um, so Tom was talking about trade marketing. Got to be a significant part of what Nine does with regard to talk, just do better trade marketing. There's a headline number, which I think says it all. 25% of Australia's population are 55 and over, they have got 50% of the country's wealth. There is lots of money there for advertisers to go and get. That's a
1: nice set of numbers, Russell. Tom, what are you going to do uh, in terms of the planning on the, the trade marketing, the education? So, Do you have some things planned or is that still in the wings?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's obviously COVID's delayed some of the riot of some of that stuff, Paul, but um, it's fair to say that, yeah, we have significant plans around trade marketing and repositioning talk radio. And I alluded to some of that before about defining the uh, defining what we do by our content, not by distribution. I mean, in this day and age, your mobile phone's a radio. You know, 12% of our listenership is now online and that's counted as part of the GFK rating. So um, uh, it's we shouldn't be defined by that. We need to be, as Russell says, we haven't sold it well in the past. And part of what we're doing with Nine is repositioning first from an audience point of view, and then secondly from a trade marketing point of view, so that we're consistent with what we're saying in the market, and then selling talk radio and and showing the influence of talk radio. And it, it is it is you need obviously then a few case studies and working towards attribution is obviously always the the key that you've got to come back to. Um, and what I what I would, what I would say to that is. As I said, if you look at the direct clients that spend only with radio and keep coming back year after year, they know it works. It's a bit harder to prove attribution to a bigger client like a Coles or a McDonald's, which radio is part of their spend. Uh, But, you know, we'll obviously work towards doing that and showing the incremental benefit. But for the clients that only spend on radio, they are very clear about the attribution, very clear about the success of talk radio.
1: I've got to say, I didn't think I'd ever hear a you know a Today Show and a 60 Minutes producer talking about sort of advertising attribution. That's pretty impressive, actually well done well
2: you know you know what this is this is a process that we went through at the today show obviously 60 minutes was um, was advertiser free but today show and in sport were all about trying to obviously enhance the level of commercialization of those products now you've got to balance that between editorial you've got to be doing the right thing by the audience first because they'll they'll smell a rat or smell a mug if you try and pull one over them so you've got to have great content and if you have great content and you just distribute it well, then you can commercialise it very well too. And I mean, that's that's been the, the business plan of Hugh Marks for four years, create, distribute, engage. It's pretty simple, right? The whole company knows it.
0: Russell, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, so media, media attribution is a big part of the consulting world now, Paul. Right. right? So they, they are pointing their substantial brains towards, okay, what is optimum spend? What's optimum mix? How do we attribute, you know – X behaviour to to what media. So huge effort has now been put into trying to get or trying to help advertisers with their their attribution, their media mix, and actually ultimately their budget. The size of the budget is now a big focus of the consultants. You'll be pleased to note increasing the budget.
2: The irony being that digital-only businesses have actually been the first ones to come back to mainstream like TV and radio and print because they have have to build their brand again before they can get to the bottom of the funnel for attribution. So, um, that's been quite interesting in the last 12 to 18 months to see some of those digital online travel companies or, or, um, or consumer based products coming back to spend above the line building brand.
1: Great point. Um, and Russell, the, the early numbers, so you've obviously seen some attribution numbers from, from uh,
0: lofty heights of PwC. Does radio stack up all right? Yes, it does. It stacks up for a few reasons, um, it, it's efficient. Obviously, time spent is long, so the consumer actually attaches themselves to a station and as a result they attach themselves to the advertiser. It's also awesome because it's not that expensive to make and it's also awesome because it's quick to get to air. If you if you need to get something on air, I mean, even this afternoon you could actually find a way to do it, but certainly within 24 hours. So you've got speed, you've got unbelievable reach and you've got pretty, a very efficient buy. So yes is the answer, Paul. Long-winded, long-winded answer, but yes. Crikey, I've got a couple of fantastic salesmen on the on the mics today. Um, so listen, one one more thing I
1: want to ask you, Tom, round around this bundled offer at nine. You talk about the upside of being part of the broader Nine Group, get it? But the flip side is, could Radio get buried in amongst the sexiness of television or the the broader publishing group? Could you get lost in the big mix?
2: No, it, I, and we will and we've been very clear about that, and we've we've got measures in place to make sure that that doesn't happen. It's not the uh, it's not a fries with that selling model. It's a it's a, this is the, this is your product. This is where we think uh, it should be best spent. And I think uh, if you were part of those conversations, you'd see that the strength of what we do now is we can have a whole of marketing conversation with a brand and say, well, yes, in terms of the mix, here's, here's how it would work best for your category or your, your product, TV, radio, print, digital. So we, we've been very clear on that and I'm confident Um uh, given how close I am to the sales team, that uh, that that is not happening, and it won't happen.
0: It's really interesting, Paul. I think that a, a lot of advertisers have recognised that reach is the is a critical measure. Um, and so, how does one reach as many people as possible over a period of time? Um, and a mix of media is how you get that reach. So we, we've we've changed our thinking. The advertisers have changed their thinking on what uh, what are critical factors. Um, certainly, in my recent consulting experience, that's the case. One plus reach is critical, and that is a mix of media. Okay,
1: so I'm going to wrap up very soon. With two, we've got two more questions for both of you, um, Tom. Digital streaming and digital listening—it's moving at pace across the audio sector. Is it the same for Nine Radio? Because you have an older-skewing audience. Are they as as they as interested in a digital device as they are the wireless, if you like, and even what Philip Adams might call the wireless? Oh, completely. I mean, I, it's actually. It's quite offensive to the older audience. Sorry, Russell, about
2: that. <laughs> they are some of the earliest adopters of some of this technology because they've got the time to can to to download it and consume it. So, and in fact, part of these discussions we're having around how we may be transforming our measurement system, the older audiences are the easiest to recruit online, much easier than the younger audiences. Right. So, it's not a barrier for us at all. Um, at the same time, you know, I don't I don't see digital audio as the panacea either. I'd like to talk about radio because radio has brands attached to it, has emotion attached to it, has personalities attached to it. That's why you buy radio. That's why you buy talk radio because we're contextually relevant in a brand safe environment doing local content. That's our point of difference. That's, the, that's where we uh, succeed and that's where we're better than anyone at reaching audiences for advertisers. So um, digital streaming makes up part of that overall number already in GFK. What is that number? It's up to twelve or thirteen percent now um, of online listening, and so that's come up from I think almost doubled in a year or a couple of years. So, and
1: this is for Nine Radio or for the industry?
2: No, that's for the industry. Right. And so, and Nine Radio has continued to be number one uh, in at two gb and three W. So, the increasing percentage of digital listening hasn't impacted our ratings, which would prove the
1: point that older audiences are adopting digital streaming just as quickly as anyone else. Where do you, what's your hunch on where it could get to, that digital streaming share of the total pie, like it's 12%, percent I think you said now? Can it double again in another year or two? I think it could, yeah. I mean, the, as I said before, your, your mobile phone's your radio these days. I mean, the, and the, it goes everywhere with you. So,
2: I mean, in terms of ubiquity, we're everywhere – and in terms of ease of consumption, it's it's one tap, and you're listening to the 3 rw app or the 2GB app. So it's going to be a much more mobile medium than anything
0: else, which will be terrific. So you, you might be my my wife Kate. She's discovered an awesome thing on the 3 rw podcast. You could you could watch it you can watch it at 1.5 times speed. You can listen to it at 1.5.
1: Times so that would be quite interesting with you because you talk pretty fast anyway. <laughs>
0: Anyway, so she gets it over and done with in you know, 50% better time.
1: That's all I'm saying. Yes, good point. So, listen, final question for both of you um, to wrap up is what's next for Nine Radio, uh, Tom, and what's next for Russell Howcroft, other gigs? We might go to Russell first. Um, so, Russell Howcroft, you you get up at four in the morning. I think you've,
0: you finish at what time, nine? Yeah, I'm home at uh, nine to 9.30. Right, you've got a whole day ahead of you. What are you going to do next? Okay, so, well, not what I'm going to do next. It's what I'm already up to. I'm um, the... I'm the chair of AFTERS, so the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. Fantastic thing to be involved in. I am on the committee of the MCC. So the MCC is obviously runs the MCG. Um, so that's a, it's, it's normally an exciting thing to be involved in, but there's been no games at the MCC this year, as you know. And I'm working on a, an event that we hope to launch for Melbourne, um, a business event that we hope to be in the CBD of Melbourne next year. Um, a lot of, a lot of my, I suppose, um, non-AW hours are devoted to that. But more on that soon, I hope, Paul.
1: Tom Malone, um, it's okay for Russell to do all that stuff. Then I'm assuming, as the boss, the new Russell's new boss. I think it, it only makes him more relevant in the Melbourne market,
2: you know, I think. And, you know, we want people that are connected to, to Melbourne, what's going on. And, and Russell's, you know, certainly part of that and in, in a way complements Ross as well and what
1: Ross does. So I, I think it's I think it's perfect, all of those things. Oh, are we well, doing. I think we, we might have known that you would have got the tick there, Russell. Um, so, Tom, uh, next for Nine Radio and then we'll, we'll leave you guys to do your thing. But what should we expect in the next six months, 12 months from you?
2: Yeah, well, I think for the next, you know, obviously, as you've alluded to, Paul, we've made a significant amount of Changed in the last 10 months. So, um, you know, we've really finished what I'd call the first wave of those changes, not to scare anyone about what's happening next, but um, it's now about proving out the theory of what we've done. And so running really hard with the sales team and working hard on not only improving our trade marketing position, but then getting out and selling it. So that's really the focus for our business for the next 12 to 18 months. Um, And then we'll see what happens. You know, I think uh, the one thing everyone's watching from our point of view is is Perth and um, Basil Zemplis running for the Lord Mayor of Perth. So if he gets in, that'll sort of trigger a bit of a reshuffle at 6PR, but we'll get to that when we need to get to it. Um, So it's sort of business as usual for us now and and going about proving the strategy uh, works over
1: the next 12 to 18 months. Well, we didn't even get to COVID, but we're out of time. So we might find that as a reason to talk in a couple of months or something. But Russell Halcroft, Tom Malone, thanks for joining. Stay safe. And I look forward to your dear numbers, Russ. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes go to podcast1.com.au or search MI3 audio edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.